Good evening, fellowship. We are excited. You guys are here, excited to worship with you this evening. My name is Ryan Burton. I am a worship pastor here at Fellowship and have the privilege of being um, Sunday nights. So excited to see all you guys. If I haven't got the chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you. Um, hey, I want to talk about two quick things before we, before we get rolling. Um, number one, a couple of weeks ago, I made an announcement about um, this creatives initiative that we're starting up. Man, we got some cool submissions. Uh, so... I'm super pumped for that. If, if you consider yourself somewhat artistic and um, like to express that in tons of different ways, so yeah, we got some poetry, some painting, songwriting, um, graphic design, photography, anything like that, we would love to still connect with you. And so we're still taking submissions for that. Once we get some more in, we're gonna figure out a good time to get everyone together. Um, and we'll talk about, hey, how can, we, how can we use this stuff to glorify God? And so um, that link is on our Instagram bio. So if you go to uh, Fellowship College Instagram, uh, go to that link and you can um, fill out um, the application there. And so we'd love to see more of those. Um, guys, we're super excited for tonight. It's Q&A night. And so we've got some cool questions in um, that we're excited to, to tackle. Um, and you are more than welcome to keep sending those questions in. So once we get going here in a bit, we'll have a number on the screen. Um, and so you can text those in in real time. Uh, Josh and Elise will be over here fielding those. And so if a question arises in the midst of the Q&A, feel free to type that in and we'll try to, uh, we'll try to get to as many as we can. So Garland will be answering all the questions that we can get to tonight. So it's gonna be a really cool night. I'm so pumped that you guys are here. Uh, before we get started though, Allie's gonna read uh, some scripture as a call to worship text. So let's stand together and let's worship as Allie reads Lamentations. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him.
So I made our first night here, per our tradition. I'm Garland, by the way, if I don't know you. Uh, I'm, in a, I'm in a good mood. I made a bold prediction the very first night. If you remember what it was, I always make a prediction about the upcoming football season, and I need to know how you want to play this one, all right? Because my bold prediction was, and I put it on the screen, Arkansas will beat Auburn. So what do we do with this? Was that right? All right. Thank you. I knew I was right. Um, so uh, what we want to do, I, I would love to introduce you to a friend of mine and who was sitting right where you uh, are sitting a couple years ago. He's going to just share a little bit about his story and what the Lord's doing in his life. And then we have a really cool uh, opportunity coming up for us as a church and specifically for you. So this is Austin. Give him a hand so you can say what's up to him.
So you were sitting almost exactly like where they are now, a couple years ago. What is this, yeah, what is this uh, opportunity coming up where they might be able to, get to see this exact same vision? Yeah. So our, our vision for our ministry is this. We desire to see a movement of the gospel in our city, in our day, that changes the world. And we pray to that end, and we believe to that end, and we push to that end. And with that in mind, would you pray for us as we continue to sing and celebrate the goodness of our God? We're so glad y'all are here. Let's pray. Stand and let's worship. Thank you. 
salvation. We need you for our righteousness. God, we need you for your faithfulness so that we can continue to seek after your goodness and your grace. God, without you, we fall apart. And so we cling to your goodness. May that be transforming in our lives, God. Father, I pray that you would move during this time God, as we ask hard questions that are confusing to us. God, would you provide some clarity Um, hey, before we get going, just for you to know, if we're still taking questions, and so I haven't looked at them, so I'm curious what y'all have sent in, and uh, you can still send in questions, and the way you do that, uh, it's not a number, Burton, there's no number, uh, yes, we're not looking for a number, uh, it's on our, I don't know how this works either, it's on our Instagram, you want, you want to turn that on and explain where they can get the, the, the thing there? I think it's on, there we go, yeah, just go to our Instagram bio like you do for pretty much everything else, that's pretty much it. Thanks for that, Josh. Yeah, thank you for that. And y'all can, um, can send in questions <laughs> anytime tonight. Garland, when he answers a question, usually takes about six minutes to answer. Now to we're going to be short. We're going to be good today. Give a one-minute answer. So you'll get the answer, and then I'll give you plenty of time to send in more questions. Yeah, you, we're going to get through hundreds tonight. We're going to be awesome. Uh, hey, while you're looking that up or you're still sending questions in, uh, one more idea is a Razorback-related thing. This is not, uh, this has nothing to do with the, ser the sermon or the talk or anything we're going to do here. Uh, I've had this idea for about three years now. And I keep trying to push it on the college crowd. And so uh, Ole Miss is coming here this week. Uh, I hate Auburn the most. I hate Ole Miss the ah, A&M. Oh, I forgot about A&M. Uh, so, uh, but Auburn's at the top. And A&M and Ole Miss are vying for my second biggest hatred. So Ole Miss is coming this week. And uh, so here's my idea. And I need the student section to create this tradition. And uh, y'all laughed at me two years ago when I promoted this idea, but we'll see if the, those, the people that are wrong have graduated and you have a more open mind to this. Uh, so here's the idea. So it's frequently said that Arkansas is the duck hunting capital of the South, and that's kind of one of the things that we're known for. Uh, and so here, here's the thought I had, especially during COVID. 
Um, during COVID, we'd only put 17,000 fans in there, and we need as much noise as possible, especially with Ole Miss coming into town. So what I, my proposal is this. Uh, what if we create, you know how the Mississippi State's got those stupid cowbell things that are just super obnoxious, but they are loud. Here's the idea. Arkansas fans, duck calls. Imagine 20,000, and then next year when we've got 70, they, yes. That's a good idea. Why are you waving that off? What's wrong with that? I mean, I, that's a good idea. Why do you not like that idea? No, 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 this is better than that. They got stupid cowbells. This is a duck call. Huh? Oh, it's annoying. All right. I got one out the other day, and it's loud. So let me just, if you own a duck call, or you can get access to a duck call, or you can even steal a duck call, then bring it in this Saturday night for the game at 3 o'clock. Don't steal it, but bring it in this Saturday, and I'm telling you, Ole Miss won't even know what hit them. When they look around, it's like, are those duck calls? What is going on? I imagine it reverberating along hey, the garlic, metal garlic, bleachers a, as well. We got a shot clock here. Come on. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, so uh, here's why we're doing this. I'll get my time back right here. Here's why we're doing this. Um, three big reasons why we do this. We do this about every 18 months. The, every 18 months. The first one is this. Um, we, we want this to be a place where you can bring your doubts and your questions. I don't like that oftentimes uh, Christians feel like that's a bad thing. You've got bad faith if you've got some serious questions. And so we want this to be a safe place to do that. Second, uh, all of us know people that have really serious problems or issues or questions about Christianity. And hopefully tonight might help you to be able to answer or speak into that. Uh, giving them bad, crappy, pat answers, canned answers to the questions they ask is not helpful. I hope this will be helpful to get us thinking about how we might begin to answer this. Maybe you're here and you're going, I got some problems and questions about Christianity. Send them in. Uh, and the third thing is this. If, if on our wedding day, my wife and I, we got married uh, uh, 11 years ago. If on our wedding day, I looked at her and I said, you know what? I need no more curiosity about you. Like, I, I know who you are. I'm not interested in learning more about you, seeing how you grow. I'm good. I mean, we got married after all. That would be unbelievably like unloving of me to do that. Curiosity about my wife, it actually fosters intimacy. It fosters me knowing her more. And it's the same thing with Yahweh. It's the same thing with our God. And so when we bring these questions to him, he doesn't strike people down in the Bible. It builds intimacy, actually. And so that's why we're doing this. Uh, one caveat here. Uh, we may not have a good answer. So we may go, I don't know. Uh, this is not a game where you're trying to Throw a question out that we can't think of the answer to. If I don't know, just say, I don't know. If they don't know, they're just going to say, I don't, I don't know. Uh, and so we want to learn together, and we want this to be as conversational, like we're in a coffee shop, as possible. They're going to be talking back there and kind of making up questions and seeing what you guys are sending them. And then we'll be talking, and we'll see what happens. And we got like 30 minutes, so who knows? Let me pray. Ready? It's one of my favorite things to do. Some of you are like, this is going to suck. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, we, we need you to... Uh, be who you are, and we pray that we would see you as gracious and loving when we walk out of here, that you would, we would see you as the one who looks in Mark chapter 9 at the man who comes with his doubt and says, he says, I believe, but help my unbelief, and Jesus, you don't go, how dare you? How dare you not fully get it? But you welcome him in any way. That's who you are, and so Lord, right now, we want to do that same thing, and we ask this in your name, Jesus, amen.
All right. All right. See what we got here. So most people that do a Q&A will save the best question for last. We're going to give you the best one first. Oh, sweet. Okay, right off the bat. This one came in hundreds, maybe thousands of times. Thousands of times, uh, yeah. If a referee calls intentional grounding <laughs> instead of a fumble, is that the unforgivable sin? Uh, yes. That's an easy okay, answer. Okay, yes. there we go. Great. That we're, referee we're, should be publicly apologizing right now and begging not to be beaten down by Razorback fans. Uh, that's good. Okay. Should we close in prayer? Yeah, let's pray. Let's pray. <laughs> it's been a great night. All right, Elise, what's our first actual question? First actual question is why don't we see miracles and prophets like we did in the Bible? Miracles and what? Prophets. Oh, and prophets. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. Um, so uh, oftentimes the question is asked something like, we see this crazy awesome stuff in the Bible, we don't see that today, and what's going on with that? And the question, I think, us first, we have to wrap our minds around, what exactly is the purpose, what exactly is the point of these miracles or these displays of power in the Bible? If you think about it, a miracle is never an end in itself. It is always a means to an end. It's always pointing at something else. Jesus will do things that are miraculous, and he always says it's not about the sign itself, it's about what the sign points to. And so with that in mind, these miracles tend to cluster in the Bible in three primary places. They cluster when God is doing something unusual, and he's trying to display this unusual thing to the world. You know, here's the three clusters. Moses and the Exodus stories. Go read it, and you're like, okay, crazy stuff's going down here. The prophets in the Old Testament, as they're trying to demonstrate to the leadership of Israel that Yahweh sees what they're doing, that Yahweh is trying to give them a way out, they need to listen to the prophets, listen to their message. And lastly, it's Jesus and the apostles. If you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's actually filled with, you know what, very normal, mundane people going through their lives. And these miraculous things cluster when God is trying to highlight he's doing something new or he's trying to authenticate a message. So I don't expect, whoever sent the question in, it's a really good question, I'm not expecting, like in 2020, for God to be necessarily needing to work through miracles uh, for, for him to authenticate something. He's authenticated the message back with Jesus. Having said that, we, we totally believe that God is at work in this world. Like, we believe that supernatural things still happen. We're supernaturalists as Christians. And so that's a, that's a short answer. We can dive in more. The, the second part about prophecy, uh, that's a longer question. That what, is the, what does the word prophet mean in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and today? And whoever asked this question, uh, we can come find me, and we'll talk about what that means. There's different kinds of prophets in the Bible. And so we do have prophets today, but not in the same sense that we might think like the guys in the Old Testament that say stuff and then like rocks come down and fall on people. We're not talking about that kind of prophet. So I hope that's a, is that a decent enough answer? Yeah. Okay. That's good. Were you even listening? I didn't listen no, you to were, a single you were word you said. Single we are, word we are moderating. We've yeah, got yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you're moderating. Hey, y'all are killing it, by the way. We have like 60 questions that just that came just in. just come in? So we're, I know, I wish uh, we could answer them all. We're scrambling right now, but these are some good questions. Okay, one, someone sent in, I'm reading through the Old Testament, and I always wonder why God allows or even orders the murder of children. Specifically, yeah. Exodus 12, 30 and Numbers 31, 17. So let's get our Bibles. Uh, I got one over here. So if you got your Bible, open up. Um, so the Exodus 12 is gonna be the Passover story. Um, and what we, have to, what we have to recognize is um, 
some of the things in, especially like the book of Joshua or Numbers, uh, when we read it, it sounds really bad to the modern ear. Uh, now, I think the Joshua story, the conquest, where it looks like they go in and just commit absolute genocide on the Canaanite people, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. What they actually destroy are three fort cities that probably don't have any women or children there. Uh, but what, what, let's, take, let's talk about the Passover, since that's the Exodus 12 one. Uh, Exodus 12 is the Passover story, and what we have to wrap our minds around is that there is a concept, there is this idea in the scripture that when humans exalt themselves, when they build empires on their own power, on their own pride, that there's almost always necessary and natural consequences to that. We see that in empires in our world today. And that God is right in judging these empires that elevate themselves. And usually what happens is they end up committing incredible injustices on the backs of that pride, what they're building in their empire. And in Exodus 12, we're talking about the Egyptian empire who's built a name for themselves and are committing unbelievable injustices and atrocities in doing so. And so if we frame the question like that and then say, what, Yahweh's coming and bringing judgment on this empire, I think it softens it a little bit, but we still got to wrestle with the fact that in that story, that it's, it, in that story, we've got babies, we've got children that seem to be getting killed. And I recognize that the Bible, as it, is, as it is giving us that story, we're gonna have to wrestle with what's going on here. There's different ways that people make sense of that story. Uh, God doesn't do the actual uh, killing. It's not as if God goes in there and kills all these babies. Uh, this angel shows up and does it, and people take it, that angel different ways. Um, but there's some things in the Bible that are gonna make us squeamish and uncomfortable. I, I, I see the Exodus Passover account, and every time I read it, I go, this seems... It seems hard to read as a modern person. And so there's some things like that that we're just gonna have to let some mystery be there and not exactly know how to square it with how we feel about that. And so it makes me squeamish. Uh, it makes me feel uncomfortable. And so uh, I, I'm, that's, that's, a, that's my answer. And I think we, one day we're gonna be able to wrestle with that question more and understand more of the insight of what God is doing there. If you really wanna get into the weeds on it, what's going on with the angel who goes in and actually does this. Uh, I, if you ask that, you can yell at us, like go a different direction, or you can send it in. Uh, you can comment. Yeah, I would, I would also say, just to add to that, we do have a podcast called Out of Curiosity, uh, and we have, oh, yeah. there, there is an episode on, yeah, Out of Curiosity, there is an episode specifically on genocide and God's role in genocide. And so that would be a good one to check out. I was supposed to put that slide up there, and I forgot. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, thank we you. We got a good there. team in the back. Thank you. Uh, what's next? Next question. How could the devil sin if he was in heaven? How could who sin? The devil. The devil. The Satan. The, the Satan, Satan, the devil. The snake uh, Let's get your Bibles out. Uh, get your Bibles out. Let's look at, uh, go to Genesis chapter three. Okay, Genesis three. And what we're gonna see in Genesis chapter three is this weird creature shows up. Uh, by the way, they know this isn't just a snake talking. What they think this is, is most likely they think this is one of the spirit beings who's in the council of the gods. And this, send that question in. We'll get off the rails. Uh, that's what they think is going on. It's not as if they saw a snake talking. I mean, if I saw a snake talking, I would be like, what the, 
and I've been getting some kind of shovel or something like spiky and killing. What was that? It, it was right? what, what the what? Yeah, we'll, uh, se- we'll censor back here. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, I'm very, I'm going to try to censor myself. Uh, and so with that in mind, they're very aware that this is not a merely a snake. And all we're given in the account is who, what this creature does is show up in a whisper of potential, he whispers a deception. And the story just sits there, right? It doesn't actually give us much insight. Now, but notice what the whisper is. Look at verse five. Here's what the, this creature suggests. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and almost all of your translations here will be, and you will be like God. Uh, the better translation of that will be, you will be like one of the gods. So the offer is, you can, you can raise your level of status and power. Now, we got to look at one other passage to make sense of this because this is exactly what this creature has done. Go to Ezekiel, so middle part-ish of your Bible, middle right of your Bible, Ezekiel 28. And this gives us insight into what took place with this creature. Uh, if you want to cross-reference on this passage, it's going to be Isaiah 14, and you can always remember that because it's a football score. 28 to 14, Ezekiel 28, and Isaiah 14. Here it is, Ezekiel 28. Now let's look at what's going on in Ezekiel 28. Um, Ezekiel's a prophet speaking to nations who have tried to exalt themselves and committed great injustices. And he speaks to the ruler of one of those nations, 28 verse 1, to the ruler of Tyre. This is a a, a nation state in the ancient world. And Ezekiel the prophet says, son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre. By the way, I've got NIV is what I'll be reading out of, so if you've got something different. Uh, This is what uh, the, the sovereign Yahweh says. So he's speaking to a human king, and here's what that human king has done. And this is a judgment oracle. In the pride of your heart, you said, I am a God. So this human king is elevating himself to the place of the gods. And that's what ancient kings often did. But now Ezekiel's going to reflect on something behind this human king, something deeper. Let's get down to verse 11. Then the word of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Yahweh says. We have the king of Tyre, and now we've got some other figure that's behind the king of Tyre. Notice what the offer is. Notice what the description is. You were the sealer of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. But he's just reflecting on this garden story in Genesis 3. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and he describes how dazzling he was, all these stones. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. It's a a, uh, creature that guards the throne. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Look at verse 17. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Now, this is one of the passages talking about this spiritual rebellion. The question's asking, how did God allow that to happen? And here's what we have to say to that. God is incredibly gracious in his plan. Here's his plan. He wants to work through the creation to bring about his glory. He wants to work through and give power to these creatures who will represent him. By the way, you know one of those creatures? It's you. That's what your job is in this world, to reflect his glory. And another group of those creatures is these spirit beings. We call them angels uh, or demons now. He is working through these these 
creatures he has made, and God, in doing so, takes a huge risk. When God says, I want to work through humans, he takes a huge risk. When God says, I want, to t- I want to work through these spirit beings, he's taking a huge risk because he's taking his power and working it through people that have an ability to say, I don't want to work that way. And we have to wrestle with, that's the reality of what Yahweh is doing. He is enabling himself to have his plan work through people and creatures that can say no. And I don't know why God did it that way. I'm glad he did because look around, that we're here because of that. Uh, And if we go philosophical, then we're going to get bogged down, I think, in how can God be all powerful and then how this person, this creature screw up. Uh, But we'll leave it at that for now. I don't think the philosophy necessarily helps us. Is that good enough? Uh, One thing I want you to kind of clarify, you said God takes a huge risk. Uh I think when we think of risk, we think of there's a a chance that this won't Uh turn out the way we want. So can you explain that further? What, What do you mean by God takes risks. Yeah, God tethered the plan to redeem this world to humans. And look around. His plan to redeem the world, if you're a follower of Jesus, is through you. And if I'm God, I ain't doing it that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, look around. Look at us. Garland, we're all glad that you're not God. Yes, you're, thank you, yes. Uh, we so often struggle and mess up and don't know what to do, and it's so unbelievable. That's why I started by saying it's unbelievably gracious of God to work this way. Uh, it, I, I say it's a risk. Um, he, has a, he hasn't given, the plan he's still gonna enact to get his glory, the plan he's still gonna enact to bless the world, but it's risky to do it through us. Uh, but he's, it's not as if he's going, oh no, they've screwed up, now what am I gonna do? Uh, he was willing to do it, even though look around at the mess that we often make of it. I don't know. That's good. Hopefully you know. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it ends well, right? Yeah, it'll end well in the end. Yeah, we'll, we, we'll, we'll, we'll find, find out. out. Find out one day. <laughs> okay, so one of the prayers that if anyone that's grown up in the church hears all the time and maybe prays the most often, if we could say that, is a prayer for, for safety. You hear this before every road trip or if you're going on a flight or on a mission trip or anything like that. You hear, it, God, like, will you like, keep us safe? Or praying for family members to keep them safe. Is that a good prayer? Why or why not? It's a fine prayer. Further question, are we making safety an idol? When we per, like, prevent ourselves from going into ministry opportunities or going to more dangerous oh, I situations. See what yeah, I see the question. Yeah, pray pray away. The the psalmists (laughs) do that. I think that's a fine prayer. Um, Yes, I think Americans have made our comfort an idol. Absolutely. I think that we desire to be comfortable and have happy, secure lives. And that is what Americans treasure almost as much as anything else besides falling in love, getting married, um, money, sex, and power. Is God unloving if he doesn't answer our prayer for safety? For safety? Uh, no, not at all. Jesus, Jesus prayed a prayer. Lord, he's in the garden like in agony and enters into like a lack of safety. And so you, you need to recognize that American Christians have had a really great cushy life compared to most Christians that have ever lived. And even if the election goes away you don't like and you think, oh no, oh, they're gonna take away our, our, our Christian freedoms. And can I just tell you, like, that still isn't persecution. Like what most of us are experiencing, they, they think we're weird. That ain't persecution, all right? 
We, we, we could stand to be a little bolder, don't you think? Uh, we're just terrified that, they don't, that, that they're going to think we're weird. We're weird, all right? As, if you're a follower of Jesus walking into the American culture, you need to recognize we are weird to them. So get used to it. I think we need to make a t-shirt of that. Huh? Just we are weird. It would that's be so new, lame new and cheesy like the, most things Christians do are just lame and cheesy, so let's not do that. Can yeah. we tie-dye it? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Going off of Garland's point, though, I do think there's something um, specific. The question was kind of talking about an opposite gender reaching out to another a guy, like a, a girl reaching out to a guy for ministry opportunity or vice versa. There needs to be good boundaries. Um, and I feel that if you are in that situation, I think challenge you to pray about it. You might not be the best person to step into that opportunity, but praying to God that there will be somebody else to step in that situation. What was the question? You answered it. Don't worry. Oh, okay. You got okay. it. Um, but next question, you hinted on political climate. So how can we as Christians respond to our current political climate, um, and how can we unite as Christians rather than becoming so caught up in polarizing issues? Um, I, who are you voting I knew for? There'd be a, I knew there'd yeah, be who, a politics question. For, hey, Garland, who are you voting for? You don't want to know. <laughs> um, I did, I side with the other day, and uh, I was shocked by the, the person it gave me. Um, so what I would say is, um, by and large, Christians in America, during especially election seasons, we have our hope, what we really put our hope in, what we really think is going to rescue us, it gets revealed. And what I see when I look out, I'm not talking about anybody in this room, maybe, but when I look out at the Christian world in our country right now, What's being revealed is our hope is in a political party, one or the other, or our hope is in a candidate, one or the other. And that is incredibly, incredibly dangerous for us. And so let me make a couple of suggestions for you when it comes to thinking about politics. Uh, And I I hope that you care about it. I hope that you follow it. Uh, I hope that you learn how to be civil in engaging this particular conversation, because right now it's just insanity out there with how people are acting. Uh, what, what you need to figure out how to do is this. Two Christians might have come to the same conclusion on a biblical principle. Let's do this one. Two Christians may say, we think, this person and this person, both think that gay marriage should, uh, that gay marriage should not be, that it's not biblical. That marriage biblically is one man, one woman in the context of a covenant for life. And two Christians may say, we think that's the principle But those two Christians might say, we think that the American government should legislate two different things. One may say the American government should legislate that principle, and the other might go, I don't think the American government should have anything to do with legislating a marriage principle based on a religious group in that country. Same conviction, totally different political ways of working it out. And what happens is, in our country right now, is we label the other one as an enemy. We label the other one as, that's not a Bible-believing person when maybe they agree with us on the Bible, they just have a different way of working that out. If we would just simply tone down the rhetoric and actually learn what it is I think that our Bible's giving us, it will go a long way in helping us navigate this in our world. But just watch, watch over the next month. What's being revealed in America and Christians too is what do we put our hope in? Like some of you putting your hope right now that the Lakers gonna hold on. Uh, so what are you putting your hope in? And it gets revealed when things get really tough, like in election years, 
I could follow up on that. I, don't, I, got a, I could say a lot about that. Uh, in general, America, Amer- Christians have not had a prophetic voice in the American culture. We're clamoring for power, and we look like idiots when we do that. Have y'all done an Out of Curiosity on politics or what a Christian's yeah, there's, there's, role? There's like five of them on Out of Curiosity, okay. and so uh, uh, I would listen to those. They're, they should be helpful, I would, I would hope. Good. For sake of time, and we have 10 minutes left. We're actually skipping over a lot of similar questions about justice and about uh, people's rights and, and how we can step into those areas and, and how to do that well. And so I know those are really important things, but we're gonna, we're gonna skip over those tonight. There are more podcast episodes on that. And again, if you really do have a, one of these questions that, that you really wanna know the answer to, please come find one of us to talk to you after. But one of the, probably the most common question that came in, maybe the second most common question was about spiritual warfare, specifically in regards to fighting sin. We had people send in questions about fighting anxiety disorders, fighting depression, addictions to pornography, how, how to view alcohol, all those things. So we're gonna lump those in the category of spiritual warfare and how we should fight sin. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, just that's, by the way, that's all of us. Like, if you're not a Christian in the room, you're fighting some addictions. You're fighting some baggage from your family. That's all of us. And we put our hope as Christians in that we have a Savior who entered into that mess. Uh, so first thing would be this. Um, I might suggest sometimes your addiction might be because there's, some, there's something in your brain that's been hardwired for it, and really good counseling would go a long way. Sometimes uh, we have some things that happen because of our childhood that we need to go and get some counseling for. Uh, so I don't want to automatically think, well, uh, I, was, I was alone in my house and uh, nobody was around and I slipped up and looked at porn. It's got to be the porn demon that showed up in my house and he made me look at porn. Uh, I think sometimes we can get a little carried away. Uh, but what I would love to maybe to do with spiritual warfare is this. The Bible's going to give us a story. And it's a story of God making the universe for his glory and for our joy. But then a rebellion takes place. And we always seem to highlight the human side of that rebellion, the fall, Genesis 3. We talk about the human rebellion, look at how people sinned and they messed up and they rejected God, blah, blah, blah. But we actually miss the spiritual rebellion, how those two things have always been intertwined. Genesis 3, Genesis 6, Genesis 11, just watch. And what we see in the Bible is the human and spiritual rebellion is totally connected. And so if you're walking around thinking that that's not going on, then you're actually, go, it's like going into a football game and you think that you're Arkansas playing like a high school team and you walk out there and you're actually playing Bama. They're just, it's, it's a bigger issue than you realize and when you downplay it, you're gonna lose. And so when Paul says things like this in Ephesians, go to Ephesians chapter six. New Testament, Ephesians chapter six. Take a look at this. Uh, this is Paul reflecting on this big story. He says... In Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against this Satan's, this devil's evil schemes. Now notice, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You are in a battle every single day. And if you minimize that, you're going to lose. And so what I would suggest is, as you walk through that battle, go read Ephesians 6. He tells, the, he tells them twice, you know what? Stand firm. Here's what's really cool. 
on the cross, Colossians 2 says, Jesus let all of those powers gather around himself. That's why it goes dark. And those powers circle around Jesus, and they take their best swing at him. And he comes out victorious. If you were a follower of Jesus, you're in Christ, then you are on the, the winning team. And so when I go into spiritual warfare, I pray boldly in Jesus' name. He's already beaten them. And so you don't have to be overly afraid. The porn demon, you don't have to think everything's a demon. I got a flat tire. It's the, it's the car demon. You don't, have to, you don't have to do that. But we also have to recognize that we actually are in a battle. And uh, so, yeah, that'd be a couple of things that I might suggest in that. Pastorally, anything y'all would say? Uh, that's good. Well, scripturally, I would, I would say a really good place to go would be Romans 6, 7, and 8. Those three chapters really talk about the, the Christian life, the new life in Christ, what it looks like to die to your old self, to be uh, brought into Jesus's life and resurrection. And then Paul in chapter 7 talks about this, this battle that's still going on. He says, I, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I should do. Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? And he gives the answer, he says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And then it says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if you wanna kind of understand this, this role of sin in your life, I think one of the questions that we always get is, can I, if I'm a Christian, a real Christian, why do I still sin? And I think what we see here is that there's always gonna be this, this battle, this, this wrestle. And pastorally, something that I've seen in my own life as I'm wrestling with sin and temptation is that there's a, there's a choice. Even when I, when I fail, even when I sin, there's a choice to, to run away from God and, and continue to pursue that sin or to, to repent and to be restored, and to, be, and to run back to Christ. And so for some of y'all, you might be living in sin right now. There's sin in your life that you just feel like you can't confess, that you don't know what to do with, and that it's just weighing on you. And that's you running farther and farther and farther away. And all the Lord wants from you tonight is for you to, to confess and to turn back and to remember that if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation, that God isn't mad at you. Your sin has already been punished on the cross, so he's not gonna punish it again. What else you got, Elise? Well said. Um, so we, actually, it's a perfect segue. This is the shortest question we got. Sex, question mark. <laughs> It says sex, sex question, question, mark. question mark. Nothing else to it, just <laughs> sex question mark. But in all seriousness. <laughs> I mean, I can answer it. <laughs> I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. Okay. Um, the actual question is boundaries. So a lot of y'all had boundary questions within relationships. Some of this is also just as we were talking about personal temptation. Um, but in relationships, emotional and physical boundaries, what does the Bible say about it? Um, so the Bible does not give you, uh, you know, here's the, like if you write out all the things you can do physically in a relationship and you work your way down, the Bible doesn't give you though, here's where, you're, where you should stop. Um, and so here's my answer to that question pastorally. The Bible says that uh, it, it is really, really, really clear 
that sex is an awesome, amazing gift that God has created. It's not God, and it's not gross. And we fall into one of those two camps most of the time as Americans. We either elevate sex to being a god in our culture. That you have to worship it. You, it's the greatest thing in the world, having sex. And when I can just have sex, it's going to be awesome. And some of you came to college, and that was your hope, to sleep with as many people as possible. It somehow makes you awesome. Uh, it doesn't, by the way. Um, but your friends think you're awesome, and you think you're awesome, but you're not. Uh, but I'm going to leave it there. Um, but the reality is, we, that's one, we make it God. The other one is we make it gross. Maybe something happened to you when you were younger. Uh, maybe you were in a relationship that somebody took advantage of you, uh, and so we think it's gross. And so for us, sex becomes this thing. And a lot of times, some churches, the way they talk about sex makes it into this thing that's like this forbidden thing. It's bad, it's evil. And the church has a really bad history of, of making sex and something that's gross. What we want to see it is as his gift, what God has made is a gift. For it to, it's to be enjoyed, but it's to be enjoyed in a particular context. And when it's in that context, there's freedom and there's intimacy and there's vulnerability, and it's awesome. And when it's not in that context, it ends up being exploitive. It ends up being lust-filled. It ends up being about taking. And so the reason Christians put marriage in the context, uh, sex in the context of marriage is not because we are a bunch of buzzkills that don't want to have fun in the world. That's not what Christians are. Uh, I hope not. We, come, we sometimes look like way, that way. That's not why we do that. The reason is when sex is in that context, it, takes, it, it enables both people to no longer have sex as a, as a weapon. It actually brings intimacy. And most of the time, outside of that context, sex is ultimately about something I am getting. It's satisfying a craving that I want. It enables me to feel beautiful or to feel pretty or to feel whatever. It enables me to tell my friends I slept with her or I slept with him. It helps me know that they really want me and desire me. And all of those answers are me-focused. Do you see that? So the Bible puts, the, it puts marriage in the context of sex because now it's something that we can do, to ser- that the husband and wife do to serve each other, and it frees it. It's actually supposed to be wonderful. So what are the boundaries, which was the question. Here's what I would say, pastorally. Um, you may not like this answer. Uh, how do I be appropriate? Um, here's what I would say. Um, there is, the, the line is at lust. And so lust is an over-desire. The word lust in the Bible is usually this word epithumia. It means over-desire, an inflamed desire in Greek in the Greek language. So an inflamed desire. So that is the line where I would say when you, when you begin to lust, that's where you should cut it off. Now here's the problem. Uh, most of the time, lust begins way higher than whatever it is we do after that. Uh, if I could go back to college, so my sexual record, I, I wish, I wish that I could have looked at my wife on our wedding day and said, I didn't have a pornography addiction, I didn't mess around with girls before you. But I couldn't. And I wish I could. And I know some of you, you're not going to be able to. And here's the deal. There's redemption in that. I have an awesome marriage. I, want you to, I don't want you to hear shame. But what, what, what I do wish I could go back into my dating relationships in college and high school, here's where my line would have been, just personally. Uh, I would have put the line, I say, put the line high enough before you get into it and you totally lose your wits, totally lose your mind. So for me, that would have been, I shouldn't have ever been in the apartment or the dorm or whatever it was with the door closed. I think the door being open would have kept me going, well, somebody might walk in or, you know, the roommate's coming over. Every time that door got closed, the second thing started happening, usually my wits were down and things got out of control. 
And so it's not just how far is too far. You gotta think, what's a wise place for us to be? Uh, now, the part I was thinking about being inappropriate on, your body usually has a tell for when you are lusting. What's that tell? Yeah. All right? <laughs> so usually, your body lets you know when you are. Be and so, Please I think, be careful. I think you just need to, you just need to go from there, all right? All right Mr. So, Vice President, Mr. Vice President, that's your question. Yeah. You agreed. Excuse me, Mr. President. You agreed to a certain set of rules. It's so bad watching these things. Um, so anyway, I, I, would, I would suggest not going, not doing this, not, not answering it this way. Okay, here is, when I, was in, when I was growing up in student ministry, one of the pastors did this. Uh, they put 11 things on there. The top one was lustful gaze. And the bottom one was G-A-Z-E, by the way. Uh, and the bottom one was uh, intercourse. And right above intercourse was oral sex. And then like, I'm gonna stop going down the list. And, uh, and then the, 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 the person said, you need to look at that list and you need to say, how far is too far? So you like, do you throw a dart at it? Do you flip a coin for it? Like, you just, here's the problem. No matter where you put that line, if, unless you're unusual, or just better than me, uh, no matter where you put that line, when you get in the moment, that line's gonna be the very thing you almost wanna cross. And normally what happens is you move it down and another, and you move it down. So here's what I would say. Whatever you think the line is, put your wisdom your wisdom, how far is too far, above that. For me, it would have been, I don't wanna be, I look back and go, I wish I was never alone with whatever girl I was dating with the door closed. Uh, so hey, you know, but the problem is, you know what we would do? Uh, hey, your roommate's out of town, let's go to your house tonight. Well, you know what, I'm, in my flesh, I'm hoping to screw around. I wanna love G, man, I'm trying to keep these boundaries, but deep down, what's going on? And you're, you're the same way as me. So I, I wish I'd say, actually, my roommates are here, you need to come to my house. Yeah, but we're going to watch a movie out with all the guys. Yeah, come to my house. It'll protect us. Does that make sense? That, that's my pastoral answer, and I'll leave you to fill in all the gaps. Uh, yes? No, I think, I think it's good. Um, a couple of resources, uh, some of the girls in the room, I've shared this with them, but uh, Dr. Julie Slattery has a ministry called Authentic Intimacy, and um, for girls... Guys, y'all can <laughs> chime in. Um, but those have been really helpful resources for me and for a lot of girls I've met with um, of just really practical ways of just understanding about sexuality and God's design for sexuality. Um, and one quote that I really like she had in the book, um, one of her books, she said, only by faith will you believe that God's call for temporary discomfort and self-denial serves an eternal purpose. Living according to God's design at times will cause pain and disruption. And that's hard, and I think that's, it. we don't like that as Garland said, um, but when we can lean in that and really understand why God has these things in place, can we decide, we can actually trust, um, and to his point, kind of stay before that line. It's not how far we can go, but kind of how we can protect that um, and honor God in that. So two, two, two last things. In two weeks, so not, not next Sunday, but the follow-up. Next Sunday, I'm gonna be in Cancun, so I ain't gonna be here. Uh, but the Sunday after that, he's we're gonna really, be picking up. He's really up. sad in this. Yeah, he's really we're gonna sad be picking up. I, I, I'm not sad to not be here. It's gonna will be you fantastic. Zoom, will you zoom in I love week? you guys, but I... We can't uh, so the, uh, in two weeks, we're gonna look at First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, which is gonna talk about this issue. We're gonna talk about our, the Christian sexual ethic. And uh, I'm, I'm, we haven't talked about this yet, our team. My proposal is about every two years, we've done a Song of Solomon series, Song of Songs, this Old Testament weird book about sex. And uh, I, was, I was wanting to do that again in February because it's Valentine's Day. Uh, so we might do that in the spring semester as well. 
Uh, yeah. All right, this is the, the last question of the night. Uh, this is kind of the, the opposite side of the coin. There's, there are a lot of people in relationships here, but there's also a lot of people that are, that are single and maybe have never been in relationships. So how do you stay content in singleness when you have a desire for a relationship? Uh, yeah, first of all, really good question. And can I just say this without getting in trouble? Um, I said a lot of other things. Uh, your, this is an SEC school. It's the same now as it was when I was here. Uh, there is an idol in the South. And the idol goes like this. It's a story that's become an idol. Here's the idol. Um, you better meet your spouse in college and you even have to time it right. You know, you start dating like your sophomore year, and then you propose Christmas of your senior year. That way you can, you can get married right in May when you graduate, and then you start life together. And uh, some of your parents, by the way, are putting that narrative on you. A lot of your friends are putting that narrative on you. And here's what I've noticed. It's not just a girl thing or a guy thing. And that narrative has an, an extra dig. It goes like this. If you don't, then you're a loser. There's something wrong with you. And can I just tell you, that is a, that's an absolute lie. That, has, that, that is something that we have created in the South of America and at a big state school, and some of your parents have told you, and that's not true at all. And so marriage does not complete you. Marriage does not give you this, oh, now I'm a real Christian or I'm a real adult or I'm, I finally get to have sex, I'm a real man. None of that is the reality of what marriage does. Uh, marriage enables you to partner with somebody to have amazing intimacy with that person, to be really known and vulnerable and open but it's not the thing that gives you your ultimate joy or satisfaction. And to the question about contentment, contentment does not come from good circumstances. If you think that your contentment is dependent on your circumstances or worse yet, how you feel, then you're gonna have this kind of a life for the rest of your life. That's just all you're gonna do is go up and down based on how you feel. Here's the worst part. Uh, I'm a millennial, technically, and I think most of you are Gen Z, is what they're calling you now, which does, I don't really get that, uh, why they're naming you that. But here's the reality. Uh, we've, been, we've trained you. Americans have trained you. Our culture's trained you. And unfortunately, the church has done this a lot as well. We've trained you to tether what is real to how you feel. And if you make circumstances and how you feel the truth, we, we say it like this, you do you, I'll do me, live your truth, I'll live my... That is always gonna let you down and leave you in this total roller coaster ride. Your contentment comes from rightly understanding that everything you need, you have from Jesus. He's the source of your freedom. He's the source of your hope. He's everything that you need. The gospel message is big enough for you to be able to look at your singleness and go, it's just a circumstance. And if you're struggling with that, root deeper in the gospel. That's the answer. It's the answer every week is root deeper in the gospel. Is that a good answer? Fair enough? That's fair. We did one of those on singleness. Yeah. Nobody listened to it. Go listen um, to it. Yeah. That's good. Psalm 23 says, I shall not want because the Lord is my shepherd. Mm -hmm. And so if we truly understand that, that's how we find contentment. Yeah. Any clo closing thoughts? We're only about 12 minutes over time. Yeah, here's how we're going to close. Um, we get freedom. Like, I hope this is freeing for you. I know, and... Maybe we'll try to go back and answer these. If you really want us to answer, send us, I really need you to answer mine. And we'll get coffee or we'll text you back. Uh, but we get freedom because Jesus doesn't come and strike us dead for asking questions. He doesn't come and strike us dead when we still struggle. 
Do you know how freeing that is? To be able to come before God and say, I don't get it and I'm struggling and I don't like this one and I need help. And he doesn't go, how dare you, you pathetic loser. But he welcomes us in. That's because of what Jesus has done for us. And so I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing about that freedom that we have in him and that freedom that he's given us and the fact that in him, we actually have all that we need. And if you've got more questions, we're gonna be hanging later outside. So just please uh, grab us. But uh, let me pray and then we're gonna sing and, and we'll celebrate together who Jesus is, what he's done for us. Lord Jesus, you are our Lord. You are our King. And we, right now, we just want us, we wanna celebrate that. We don't have all the answers. Uh, we don't have all of our doubts fixed because we did this and we don't even get through, sounds like like 3% of the questions. But we have a God who is good and we can trust you and that you are faithful to us. And that faithfulness hit a moment when you sent your son, not out of hate for us, but out of love for us, that he might set us free, redeem us, bring, bring us into your kingdom. And now we are your kingdom people. May we demonstrate that freedom to our world. They might see there's hope in you. Thanks that we get to do this. We love you, Jesus. Pray it in your name. Amen.
Let's pray. The Lion of Judah, the victorious lion, became the slain lamb, humiliated on a cross, and then the stone is rolled away, and in victory, the verdict, God's verdict on the sin issue, on death and its power is given, and it's defeated. The lion who became a lamb, who's now the resurrected king, and that's the story we tell, Jesus, as we walk out of here. We got freedom in you. There's victory in you. And we want to walk in that. And we ask this in your awesome name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we love y'all. Uh, y'all will be here next week. I, I will not. Uh, have a great week. Thanks for letting us go a little bit long. Duck calls. Duck calls. Uh, head outside. So ch- hang out and chat outside because we got COVID still. So go out there. We love y'all. See you next week. Have a great week, everybody.